सर वॉट वॉज बुद्धाज एनलाइटनमेंट डिड ही गेट ऑल द पॉसिबल नॉलेज ऑफ द वर्ल्ड बाय सिटिंग अंडर अ ट्री एंड मेडिटेटिंग एंड द नॉलेज दैट वन गेट्स इन एनलाइटनमेंट इज इट जस्ट ऑफ द इनर वर्ल्ड और डज द एनलाइटन वन ऑल्सो गेट टू हैव फुल नॉलेज ऑफ फिजिक्स एस्ट्रोनॉमी जोग्राफी मैथमेटिक्स एंड सो ऑन वन मोर थिंग सर इफ डेथ इज इंडीड द ग्रेटेस्ट सॉरो एंड बुद्धा हैड टू डाई इवन आफ्टर बींग एनलाइटन वॉट काइंड ऑफ एन एनलाइटनमेंट वॉज इट दैट कुड नॉट मेक हिम इम्यून टू डेथ द अल्टीमेट पेन the the first question he wants us to address is does one get all possible knowledge of the world by sitting under a tree and meditating by this he means that does one get to know of physics astronomy geography mathematics and so on just by meditating under a tree obviously not fuzel obviously not and anybody who says that because he has been a meditator therefore he knows all about science and galaxies and water and fire and this and that and and and, and geography and constitutions and polity and education and mathematics and and, and nuclear science <laughs> and quantum physics anybody who says such a thing is not merely bluffing he is a dangerous fraud the knowledge of the world hmm the knowledge of the material can be obtained really only by the method of experimentation the lab is the place the lab is the place by closing your eyes you will not get to know anything about the world i know there has been a tradition of people all over the world who have claimed that when they close their eyes all the secrets of science are revealed to them i'll take the humble liberty of declaring them fraudsters with all possible responsibility i am saying anybody who says that he closes his eyes and gets to know of the cosmos or the nucleus of the atom is a fraud it doesn't happen that way that fellow not only does not know science he is not even a meditator he is insulting meditation by attributing such things to it so does one get knowledge of the world by closing eyes no not at all does one get knowledge of the self by closing eyes even that is not entirely accurate by closing your eyes you just make yourself immune to all the things that come to you uninvited forcefully with the senses that is the only reason why closing the eyes is a good technique in some cases and for some time are you getting it and it is not a technique that is entirely novel or unknown to you even here as we are discussing why have we pulled down the curtains 
so that we don't have any sensory distraction. Now pulling down the curtains is not really very different from pulling down the eyelids. These two are curtains, no? Are these not curtains? So just as you pull down those curtains, you pull down these curtains as well. You do not want distraction. You do not want distraction because you know that you are susceptible to distraction. Why do we want this room to be soundproof? Why do so many people use ear pods? Why? Because they know that if something falls on their ears, they are not immune to it. Had they been immune, they would really not have needed these things. Similarly, why do you wear clothes? Why do you wear clothes? Because you are not immune to heat and cold. Because you are not even immune to somebody's touch. You are riding a public bus. You do not want somebody to be rubbing against your back. So what do you wear? You wear clothes. Had you really been totally immune, like a Jain monk, you do not need clothes. You touch a monk, you have not really touched him, you have just touched the skin. But when somebody touches your skin, he has touched you. So to remain untouched, you must wear clothes. Are you getting it? And that is the technique of meditation, it's a technique in negation. I do not want the world to come hurtling towards me. I do not want the world to break into my inner space. I do not want the sensory forces to bulldoze their way to my mind. And therefore, this is what I do. This, however, does not give you any knowledge. This prevents nonsensical knowledge from coming to you. Get the difference? Meditation is not about obtaining knowledge via some mystical route, as some people try to tell you. No, not at all, not at all, not at all. Meditation is not an exercise in affirmation or achievement or attainment. You do not attain anything by meditation. What do you do rather? You cut off the supply. You break the supply lines. What are the supply lines? This is a supply line. This is a supply line. Supply line. Supply line. It keeps you connected, no? Logistics. So what do you do? Mum. I'm mum. Because if you speak, nonsense will come to you. We live in an echo chamber, no? That nonsense is not of the world. You speak, Nonsense. So you get nonsense. You don't want to get nonsense, you are advised to stay mum. That's meditation. So meditation, I repeat, is an exercise in negation. It will not give you knowledge. It prevents knowledge from coming to you. And that, by the way, is a sad commentary on the quality of knowledge we usually get. And we get it inadvertently. Knowledge is not merely what you get in schools and colleges and in books. We all are full of knowledge and 99% of that knowledge has not come to us from any book or any syllabus. That knowledge has come to us from hearsay, from gossip, from imperfect perception, from imagination.
All that knowledge has come to us. And that knowledge, my beloved Upanishads tell me, is our bane. Your problem is not that you are ignorant. Your problem is that you are full of tons of gutter knowledge. You remember our discussion on gutter knowledge that day? I repeat, our problem is not that we are ignorant. In fact, there is nothing called ignorance. What you call as ignorance is just nonsensical knowledge, misplaced knowledge, knowledge that you should never have had, knowledge that has blocked the way of realization by presenting itself as, by guising as the right thing, the right knowledge, whereas it is just worthless, it is false. It is false, but it pretends to be the truth. That knowledge is our problem and that knowledge is what we want to block in meditation. Are you getting it? And right now I am talking of the kind of meditation that you ascribe to the Buddha. The kind of meditation in which you sit down in a particular pose and close your eyes. I am talking about that. I will talk about another kind of meditation a while later. Are you getting this? What is, what is meditation then? Please, please, please. Meditation is not something in which you obtain something. Meditation is a negation. Meditation is a revolt. I do not want myself to be a dumping yard. I am not the dustbin in the room. I am not the laundry bag. Why are you putting everything soiled in my head? I rebel and that rebellion is meditation. It is the first and the best rebellion that every young man, rather every person must opt for, must love rather. Are you kidding? So what happens then? Now you have blocked this, this, this and, you, and, and, and even, even the mind that is trying to do a lot of things with rubbish knowledge, you have told the mind, I do not support you. Sir, right now I am not going to support you. Thoughts are coming. You do not want to get engaged in them. You don't want to energize them. Right? You have told thoughts, see I am not interested. I am not interested. So as a result of this, what happens inwardly? Nothing happens inwardly. Not only do you not get knowledge of physics and, and astronomy, you also do not get any internal knowledge. Because there is nothing called internal knowledge. In meditation, there is just silence. So if somebody says that he is obtaining knowledge about the cosmos or the chemicals, or herbs, hmm? or some great mysterious worlds during meditation, obviously he is a cheat and a fraud. But at the same time, if somebody says that by closing his eyes, he could obtain knowledge about the inner world, he too is not quite truthful. Outer knowledge, inner knowledge, no knowledge is the purview of meditation. Meditation is about 
falling in love with silence. You just love silence so much that you don't bother for knowledge. Meditation is not an effort to yield you knowledge. No. There is something so great that I have fallen in love with that I do not want any distractions. That's meditation. Hmm? Even in your common worldly love, when you fall in love and you are with your man or woman, don't you just, just sneak away from crowds? What do you say? I am with my beloved and I do not want others to interfere. Right? Your, your living room, your loving room, your mating room. How often is it a public place? Or is it? What do you say? You say, you know, this is something special. I do not want others to be here. Hmm? And that is just common, worldly love, not worth much. And still you are so protective and, and mm, particular about it. In meditation, you have fallen in love with the ultimate. You have just fallen in love with the ultimate. Therefore, you tell the world, stay away, dude. And how do you tell the world to stay away? By closing your doors. These are the doors through which I mingle with the world. And now, right now, I am telling the world, busy, occupied. Hmm? Then, then, then your inner self becomes a honeymoon suit. And what's there on the door? Do not disturb. So meditation with your eyes closed is the do not disturb sign. Something very intimate is happening inside. How dare you knock? Who are you? You have no locust stand eye. And you might be somebody in your own regards. The fact is, I do not love you. I do not love you. My beloved is in. And something extremely, I can't call it personal, atmic, heartly, is happening inside. Are you getting it? So this is the meditation that you normally relate to the Buddha. I had said I would talk of another kind of meditation. Now, if meditation is a love affair in which you do not admit distractions, the question is for how long can you sit under a tree with your eyes closed? Sooner than later, you'll have to get up. And if your love is pure and honest and strong, hmm, and, and overpowering, then obviously your love will, will occupy you 24-7. Or would it not? Or would you say, my honeymoon lasted just 20 minutes? You need to be greedier than that, no? Therefore, I say real meditativeness is when your life becomes a love affair. When your work becomes your love affair. Then automatically, all the nonsense stays out of your life. And that is meditative living. To me, that is the real meditation. Hmm? Techniques of meditation, 
they are at best a good way to begin. You can begin using them, but as soon as possible you should drop them. You should drop them and move into the real thing, the adult thing, the full-time thing. Don't be a part-time lover. If you love a place, settle down. I say don't be a tourist. Why is it so necessary that you helplessly return to your shoddy place even after knowing that the place you just went to is beautiful, captivating and just the right one for you. What's the compulsion? Who is dominating you so much that you have to? 2016, I was in Rishikesh, that was the first myth demolition tour. And I remember this gentleman, he was an old practitioner of uh, meditation and he was particularly enamored with the 112 meditation techniques of Vigyan Bhairav Tantra. And he said, I know this technique, I know that technique, I know this technique. He said, for how long do you practice them in the day? For almost as much as two hours. He said, it's almost like cheating in love. Where are the remaining 22 hours going? If you love it so much, why do you bring it to an end that too daily? Is that not excruciating? If I love something so much, so much, so much, then why would I ever want it to end? And you end it, and you end it daily. You end it daily because your meditation is limited to one place and one posture. He said, no, no, I have 112 techniques. I said, whatever. They still end, don't they? Real loyalty, real fidelity, real surrender is when you give yourself totally to the one you love. That's meditativeness, constant, uninterrupted, perfect, absolute, innocent. Is that clear? Can two people uh, who practice different schools of meditation who subscribe to different ideas of meditation, can they grow together? The more they grow together, the more they can grow together only by dropping their respective ideas. Because what is it that limits or arrests their growth? Their ideas about meditation. You see, love is not an idea, Kunal. Hmm? If meditation is that intense and intimate love, how can it be an idea? Is love an idea? Can you verbalize love? I mean, obviously there are poems and songs and so much about love. But can it really be spoken of or even sung? So to grow together, we will have to drop all our ideas, including our ideas about love and meditation. All our ideas. It's our ideas that separate us. What else separates us? Tell me. Hmm? You think you are somebody. I think I am somebody. And these two somebodies are mutually not reconciliable. And therefore there are differences and conflicts and people are fighting and communities are fighting and countries are fighting because they have ideas. Any growth, whether it is growth along with somebody else's growth or it is totally internal and solitary growth, that growth includes you growing beyond your ideas. 
often that growth is by successively moving into better and higher ideas and ultimately into the ideas that all ideas are just ideas hmm? that's the that's the idea that the upanishads bless us with hmm? that fine you can you can keep moving up the up the intellectual stair hmm? and that's great you had a very gross idea of things and life and love and meditation from that you move to something subtle something more refined that's nice but you will not get peace till you drop all your ideas ashtavakra tells tells janak that you can practice not merely meditation he says you can have a thousand samadhis one after the other and still you will not get mukti till you do not drop your knowledge do you do you look at the audacity hmm? the, the the sheer outrageousness of the teaching most spiritual teachings stop at samadhi and ashtavakra is saying not one but a thousand successive samadhis will give you nothing till you are unable to drop your knowledge and knowledge is ideas unless you drop your ideas there is no liberation for you no growth for you and i i, I fully consent that when i talk of a stair then obviously one has to move rung by rung you cannot just drop something so how does dropping practically happen by moving into something incrementally more sublime more subtle so you have this then this then this then this and then ultimately you you go to the place hmm? i call it vedant where you are fearless enough to just drop all your supports and ideas are you know supports that keep us armored defended against the reality where you are able to drop all the supports and just fly free yes oh we still have more from fuzel so the the last thing that fuzel khan has asked is if death indeed is the greatest sorrow and the buddha had to die even after his enlightenment what kind of an enlightenment was it that could not ward off death no see the body does not get enlightened fuzel <laughs> basics 101 your nails do not get enlightened it's another matter that there are gurus who want you to worship their nails their feet their hair i know of a case where even the excreta was supposed to be worshiped the body does not get enlightened the body is born and the body will die and the buddha really did not die a very smooth death either he had severe gastrointestinal trouble and it lasted 
Similarly with Mahavir, with Ramakrishna Paramahansa, with, with Ramana Maharshi and so many others, Jiddu Krishnamurti. It was not instantaneous death for any of these. And there are so many more, I can't recall right now. It was not instantaneous death for any of them. They were diseased just as anybody's body is. You poison Socrates, he will die. You impale Jesus, he will die. Vivekananda was 38 and so many diseases. The body will die. So why do you say that if Buddha was enlightened, why couldn't he ward off death? I get the cue from something that you have written in your question. You are saying death is the greatest sorrow. So why couldn't Buddha avoid this sorrow? Now that's an entirely different thing. For the Buddha, death is no more a sorrow. For you, the death is sorrow because you are the body. So when the body is dying, you are in sorrow. Is that simple? You take yourself to be nothing but the prakritic mechanism. I am the body. I am prakriti because that's how you have lived all your life. You have gone where your body has driven you. Your body has been the driver of your life. Body means physical tendencies, mental tendencies, everything. Everything that comes to you without earning is the body. What is the first thing that you obtained in this world without earning it? Body. So anything that comes to you without earning is the body. For example, the money that your father bequeaths you. Did you earn it? That's the body. So all the money that you get in inheritance is the body because you did not earn it. And it's obvious that this money is coming to you as a result of physical relationship, bodily relationship. It is the body. Hmm? Your wife earns a lot. You are a house husband. I'm just doing a bit of role reversal. And your body brings a lot of money and you sit at home and enjoy it. It's the body. Why would your wife give you so much money? It is for the sake of the body. There is a gender equation in between. There is the sexual pleasure in between. And there are the products of the body in between, the kids. Therefore, all the money is coming to you. Therefore, it is just the body. It is not money. Call it body. The Buddha is no more the body. The Buddha is no more the body, not because he thinks that he is not the body, but because he has not lived as the body. He did not take what his father gave to him in inheritance. Therefore, he is not the body. Now, you know why the Buddha did not face sorrow in death? Because he did not take what his father gave him. Therefore, he is not the body. The father gave birth to his body. Had he taken what the father was given him, the father was giving something to the body. By not taking what the father is giving to the body, the Buddha made a very loud and silent declaration. I am not the body. Had I been the body, I would have taken the kingdom. And I will not take what my wife is giving me either. What is my wife giving me? The worldly kind of love, care, all the things that wives give. Sexual pleasure, kids, that my wife is giving me. Buddha refused it. And therefore the Buddha is not the body and therefore he does not face sorrow in death. You cannot just say, I ideate that I am some super consciousness. No, it's not an idea, boss. You have to live that way. Unless you are living 
as someone who keeps the body at bay, you'll have to face sorrow not only in death, but in everything that you do. Show me in your life that you are not living as the body. Show me. Are you getting it? The body has no consideration for anything. The body just wants its own welfare. Are you worried about others' welfare selflessly? Then you are not the body. Go to the jungle. Anybody eats anybody. What are you doing? What are you eating? For the sake of your little stomach, are you prepared to slaughter? Then you are the body. And if you are the body, you will face sorrow all your life. So when I talk of vegetarianism or veganism, it's not merely a moral imperative. It's to save you from sorrow. But you don't see that. You ideate. You don't live it. You have to live as consciousness. You have to live as a higher being. Only then have you declared. And then you don't really need to declare. So I said the Buddha made a silent declaration. Only then can you declare that you are not the body. Otherwise, there is no point going around chanting Naham Dehasmi, Naham Dehasmi, Naham Dehasmi. What's this? Nirvana Shatkam will not give you Nirvana. Your life will give you Nirvana. Live rightly and live rightly every moment. Show me where is the rightness in your day-to-day -day decisions, in your words, in your actions. You live as a slave to your hormones. And then you want higher things in life? Cute. That's all that you can be said. Cute. You got what you deserved. C-U-T-E. Only that much. Before you move, before you eat, before you think, before you utter, before you propose, before you accept. Ask yourself, is it me or is it the age-old animal? The Buddha moved into the jungle to rebel against the animal. How do you like it? We come out of the jungle to live as animals. And the Buddha moved into the jungle to rebel against the inner animal. The inner animal said, live in the palace and enjoy your wife and what your father is giving you. Getting it. Irrespective of what I may want to give, all that the monkey gets is bananas. So to get it, you'll have to keep the monkey aside a while.